Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Uh, We're going to go from John 5, verses 18 to 47. And um, let me begin by saying this. I'm... um, if I wasn't a senior pastor, a preacher, teacher of the Bible, which I thoroughly love and I know this is what I'm supposed to do in life, and I'm one of the fortunate people that gets to do exactly what I'm supposed to do in my life. So I'm really blessed in that respect, and I've got to do it now for, I've been preaching for a little over 40 years of my life, 40, yeah, over 40 years of my life. And, uh, but the one thing I thought, if I wasn't a preacher, you know what I would be? I'd be a lawyer. And there's no doubt I'd be a lawyer. And I'd be a prosecuting attorney because I want to get somebody on the stand, okay? Because for whatever, I don't know what it is, it's my sense of justice, plus the fact that I have a really good memory. Have you ever noticed I have a good memory? And it's helped me tremendously in counseling people because I'll listen to people, I'll listen, listen, and I'm listening for inconsistencies. And I can pick inconsistencies up really fast. It's my discernment gift that God has given me. And I can see when, oh, wait, you said this earlier. Now you say this here. Which is it? And they're like, uh, uh, uh. I go, yeah, uh, uh. No, I don't do that to them. But I like that. So I've always thought, because I like, I like murder mysteries. How many know I like murder mysteries, right? And so I watch these things. And Olivia and I both love murder mysteries. And I watch the courtroom scenes and stuff like that. And, and in the courtroom, the way, and I've never been in a courtroom for a whole uh, a whole case or anything. I've been in there. I've testified for like five minutes one time and out, and I've never sat on a jury. I only go by what I see on ID channel, okay? So that's what I go by. But the prosecuting attorney or the defense come in and they make their opening statement. This is what they, this is what they claim. And then after they claim that, they spend the whole rest of that whole case uh, proving what they stated, Right? They're going to give the evidence to all those things. And I thought it would always be fun to try to do that. It would be so much fun to do that. Now, Jesus is going to do exactly that in John chapter 5. He's going to make some claims, and they are strong claims. In the first half of these verses that we're going to read. And then, after he makes the claims, then he's going to give you the evidence for the claims. Because, and never forget, that your Christianity is not a cliche faith, it's not a blind faith, it's an evidence-based faith, is it not? Never forget that. Now, in your notes, when it comes to the claims, if you have your notes, if you take notes, I'm going to fly through those really fast, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the claims. I'm going to spend more time on the evidence of the claims. Does that make sense now? So here we go, John chapter 5 First claim, number one is this. Jesus says, I am equal with the Father. Now, in verse 18 of John 5, he says this. He says, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now, this is the straw that breaks the camel's back, correct? Because now they're upset now. And if you want to jot down something in your notes to substantiate even more this claim, because people will always, not always, but some people will say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. Write down John chapter 8, 
verse 58. When we get there, I'll expand that verse and that story much wider. But in that place, Jesus tells the Pharisees and scribes, he says, before Abraham was born, I am. Thank you for that one. He says, I am. Which he's saying is, I'm the one at the burning bush. Now, when they heard that, they went nuts, okay? And they really want to kill him now because he's claiming to be God in the flesh. So, the second thing he claims is this. He says, I am the life giver. In your notes, number two, I am the life giver. Now look at verse 19, 20, and 21. He says, therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly I, truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. Just For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Now, first things first before I hit into this one. He says, I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it also. Now, that's not a limitation. That is a cooperation. That's the unity of the Godhead. Amen to that one? Now, all you have to do to search that out a little wider is, remember when Jesus was 12 years old and they left him behind? Remember when they lost God? Remember that story? They leave and they leave him there. And the reason why they, they you know, how could you forget your child? Because the, the women and the men would travel in different parts of the caravan. So one would think one had the child or the other one might think the other had a child. Well, Jesus stayed behind and he stayed behind in the temple and he's reasoning with all these educated religious people. When they finally found him there, and they go, Why, what are you doing? Remember what he tells his parents? Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? In other words, I'm just doing what I see the father doing. And then you find Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He prays, not my will, but, but your will be done. So it's not limitation. It's cooperation with the father. Now, look at verse 21. He says it again. Let me read it again. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son also gives life to whom he wishes. So he's telling them, look, I am the source of all life of all human beings. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 2, when God creates Adam, what does he create him from? What's the first thing he uses? Dust. He uses dust. He uses the earth. And I like the old story where somebody tells God, God, I can create a human. And the you know, scientist says, God, I can create a human. And God says, go ahead. And the guy goes and he takes some dust and God goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to make your own dust, okay? You got to make your own dust. You know, you can't be cheating on this one here. So, finally got that one there. It'll get there. It's like a wave. But anyway, so he creates him. But when he creates him, he creates him. But what's lacking still? What does God do next? He breathes into him and he makes him a life giving soul. Do you remember that? So he creates Adam first. He's just a shell. Now, I love when my wife makes tacos deep fried. Any amens? She'll put them in the, I said some of you like that, huh? the deep fryer, but then the shell comes out, but there's nothing in the shell, right? Then I like the ground beef, she puts that in there, and I like the lettuce, tomato, the guacamole, and her hatch, hot, hatch chili hot sauce. Are your mouths watering yet? With a, with a cherry, wild cherry Pepsi right there, anyway. So, but first it starts off with an empty shell, and then you fill it up. Well, that's exactly what God does, he's a life giver. He created Adam, he's an empty shell. He's just a body, and then God breathes into him, and he becomes a, a soul. It becomes a life. It almost parallels being born again of the disciples in John 20, when after the resurrection, it says, Jesus, what? 
he breathed upon them the Holy Spirit. So you see these, these similarities here. So he is the life giver of all life. Number three, let's move quick on these claims here. I am the final judge of mankind. Jesus says, I'm the final judge of all mankind. Look at verse 22 and 23. He says this, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So he's the final judge. Question, who would you expect to be the final judge, the Father or the Son? The Father. I would expect the Father. But the Father gives final judgment to the Son, Jesus. Why does he do that? So they honor Jesus, showing that, we, that they are basically one and the same. You honor both of them, showing perfect unity all over again. Now, <clears throat> question, who is the only one who can decide final judgment on any person? Yeah, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, you better believe it, yeah. So let me say this, because I, I, um, in my agony and in my pain, uh, last Thursday, I, I taught the, the, oh, you were there. I taught the Riverside uh, New Beginnings Bible study. So they're in Corinth, 1 Corinthians. So I taught, and a question came up. And um, so I'm, I'm going to share what, what happened that night because I think it's, it's good for us to know. It was a great question. It was a great statement. And, and I just, I, I read it and I, I go, you, you think of it like one of, the young, one of the young, everybody's young to me now. But anyway, one of the young men, he says about the Corinthians because of the way they were, he says, well, maybe they weren't real Christians. And I said, okay, because I, I had them raise their hand, ask me a question anytime. And he said, maybe they weren't real Christian. I said, okay. I said, let me, and I said, let me talk to you because you sound like me. I'm a prophet-motivated person. It's black and white. You're in or out. You're saved or you're not. You're living for it or you're not. Anybody like me? Raise your hand. Anybody? It's okay to be. You're so sweet, though. How could you be like that? But anyway. <laughs> but, um, and so I said, listen to what you said. I said, you sound like me. Maybe they're, they're not real Christians. You be careful with that statement. They're not a real Christian. Be careful. I said, and I, once I explained how he's like me and I'm like him, I said, because only God, only God can know what's in a person's heart. It says... In 1 Corinthians 2, that it's the spirit within a man that knows the heart of a man, his thoughts. And the spirit of God is in a born-again believer, and only God can know that. And I said, look, there will be some people in heaven, when you and I get there, we're going to go, you? You made it? I, are you God? Jesus, Jesus? This person? Yeah, that person. Because it's by faith through, gra- through, through faith by grace of God, Right? So you always got to be careful. And then I can prove it biblically that they were real Christians even though they're in the flesh all over the place at First Corinthian Church because in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says the church of God at Corinth sanctified. That settles the case. They're born again. They're the ecclesia. They're sanctified. But they're in the flesh and yet these in the flesh Christians, they were the most bold in operating in the full gifts of the Spirit of God. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? Say yes. God bless you guys for saying yes. Now number four. Jesus says, I'm the holder of all destinies. I hold everyone's destiny in my hand. I'm the holder of all destinies. Look at verse 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into, into 
life. Now, Jesus holds everyone's destiny. That's a big statement right there. But notice the destiny, everyone's destiny depends on some things, does it not? He says you have to hear the word of Jesus and you have to believe in the one who sent Jesus, correct? In other words, they're, they're, they're cooperating again. Jesus' word and the Father sent Jesus, so they're in perfect unity. Amen to that one? Now, here's what I want you to notice, though, in case you've never thought this. Uh, look at verse 24 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, say the next word. Louder. Has. Has what? Eternal life. Does it mean one day you will have? After the resurrection and heaven, you will, or has, as in right now. As in when? It's right now. See, you're living as a born again believer, you're in eternity when? Right now. You are living resurrection. You are living in eternity right now. Not one day. And God, Jesus Christ, is the holder of all destinies, he claims. Number five. He says, I am able to raise the dead. Now, that's a big statement right there, isn't it? I'll read 25 to 29 as you fill in. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear. Wow. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Verse 26. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man which is a messianic title of God in Daniel 7, verse 13, 14. Um, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, verse 29, and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now, he's saying, I'm able to raise the dead in these verses here. And he will prove it in the few chapters when he raises who from the dead? Lazarus, we're going to see in chapter 11, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He goes, I'm not just saying this. I'm going to prove it to you in his life. And then he'll prove it again by his own life because in John 2, remember he told everybody and they didn't get it. He said, destroy this temple and in three days, who will raise it up? He says, I'll raise it up again. I'm able to raise it up. I have a question for you. Who raised Jesus from the dead? (laughs) It's Jesus. Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. It's the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 11. It's the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, and it's the Father, Acts 10, 40. God raised Jesus from the dead. All three of them were part, in unison, cooperating, raising Jesus from the dead. Have you ever thought that? They all did it. They were all involved. Now, here's what I find fascinating about those verses in Jesus being able to raise the dead. Look in uh, verse 28. It says, uh, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. You know what's fascinating? God can speak, and his voice penetrates the place of the dead. You ever thought about that? When he calls Lazarus to come forth, was Lazarus alive or dead? Did his voice penetrate into the world of the dead? It surely did. He speaks, and it penetrates. Now, here's the other fascinating thing about it. In verse 25, look at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will what? All the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, but only those who hear 
Well, if, wait a minute, they hear, but only those who hear. Well, if, yeah, what does that mean? The best um, way to define that for me is this. Do you remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus and he encounters the risen Jesus Christ? Remember that? Light flashes from heaven, the whole shot, you know, and here's the, Jesus talking to him, who art thou, Lord? I, you know, I'm Jesus whom you persecuted. But if you flash forward to Acts 22, you'll get more insight into the Acts 9 story. And Paul says this in Acts 22. He says, everyone that day saw the light. Everyone. He says, but only I comprehended the voice. Did you hear what I just said? Everybody's going to hear, but not everybody's going to comprehend what God is saying. To comprehend and accept. And so that's the difference. That's where destiny comes into play. Jesus can raise the dead. He will speak, but not everybody will accept it. Not everybody will take it and accept these things. Number six, I got to move fast on these claims. Everything I do is the Father's will. Everything I do is the Father's will. And that's verse 30. He says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I like that. So he says, I don't seek my own will. I, I've come to do the will of him who sent me. Isn't that our hope in our life? That we don't seek our own will. We seek the will of him who sent me. What does God want me to do? What do the scriptures tell me to do? And I will do that. Now, <clears throat> Jesus makes all these claims, but now he's got to give the backing. He's got to give the evidence of his claims. Where's the evidence? Where's the support? Look at verse 31. He says this. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is... It's not true. So in other words, I'm not just going to say it that just because I say it. I'm going to bring in corroborating evidence that what I'm telling you is the absolute truth. And he's going to bring in these other witnesses, things, and people, things that have happened. And you're going to see, here is the evidence that what Jesus says is the truth. Now, here we go. I'll take more time on the witnesses now. Witness number one, the Father. Witness number one is the Father. Verse 32. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he, capital H, gives about me is what? That's true. Who is the other person? It's God the Father. That's right. So he receives the testimony of God the Father. Question? Can you think in your mind very quickly when the testimony of the Father was given, which backs up what Jesus is stating. The baptism. At water baptism, John the Baptist baptized Jesus, the heavens open, the Spirit ascends as a dove, and God the Father says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's right. Stop. Can you think of the other time the Father gives the testimony? The Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17. They go up to the mountain. He takes Peter, James, and John. And up on the mountain, who shows up? Jesus turns, you know, glorified white gowns and everything. Who shows up? Moses and Elijah. Remember that? Peter, open mouth, insert foot. You know Peter, right? He doesn't know what to do, so you've got to say something. Do something, right? Sometimes you just got to shut up and relax, right? He can't. He says, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, Jesus, and one for Moses and Elijah. And by the way, he recognized Moses and Elijah, which tells you in heaven we will know each other. Isn't that cool? Then when we get there, I go, that's Moses right there. I thought he was taller. No, I'm just joking. But so in, so in the transfiguration, and when, 
when Peter says, let me make three tabernacles, one for each of you, then God speaks and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. No Moses, no Elijah, the Messiah, God in the flesh. Listen to him. And these are the two testimonies of the Father. So that's witness number one of Jesus' claims. Now, look at witness number two, and that is John the Baptist. Witness two is John the Baptist. I'll read verses 33 to 35. He says this, You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. He says, this is the next witness, this is the next testimony of what I'm telling you is the truth. It was the witness of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, remember when they came and approached him, and they say, who are you? Are you him? He goes, no, I'm not the prophet, I'm not this, I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. I make way, I prepare the way of the Lord. And then he says, there's one standing among you whom you do not know. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. So it's the testimony of John the Baptist. Can I show you a funny John the Baptist moment? Yes or no? Okay, you better say yes. It would make me feel better about my life, okay? Now, now mark here and turn to Matthew chapter 21. I, I love this interaction of, um, in, in this John the Baptist story, but it's Jesus and the Pharisees. But he, the, he, he will use John the Baptist. Jesus will use John the Baptist as, as, a, as a witness, as a, as a defense, I guess. Now look at this. Matthew 21, I'll read 23 to 27. Watch what this says. It says, when he entered the temple. Okay, so they're having a church service, right? Right? Okay. The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching. Is Jesus teaching in a church service, basically? Yes, he is. All right. So, and, and, and while he was teaching, and they said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Question, did they interrupt the church service? That's right. They butt in right in the middle of his teaching. That's pretty rude, Right? But they ask him, you know, by what authority do you do these things? Who gave you this authority? What are they asking him? It's the same thing they always ask. What are they asking? You didn't go to rabbi school. You're not a Pharisee. You're not a scribe. You're, you're, not, you're not anything. You're not a Sadducee. We don't know you. Where's, you. where's your degree? Where's your credential? By what authority are you doing this stuff? We know you're some country bumpkin from up in Galilee. Even the way you talk, you have that Galilean accent. By what authority do you do these things? So they're really insulting him, right? Right? Okay. <clears throat> so, but they ask him a question, huh? Now watch what Jesus does when he's asked a question. He's brilliant. He's simplistically brilliant. Thank God, simplistically, I can understand it. Verse 24, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Listen, when somebody comes and questions you and says, there, there's no such thing as God, God doesn't exist, and there's no Jesus, he never existed, he didn't resurrect, instead of trying to defend it in the first spot, turn around and say, okay, you believe, it? yeah, there's no, okay, give me the evidence that there is no God, give me the evidence that Jesus never came, never was crucified, and was never, never rose from him. Give me your evidence so I can believe. Turn the question around and put it on them. Why, why should you carry the burden of proof? They're the ones coming up with the big statement, right? Now, you should be able to answer the question. 
And we've gone through that in series, and I'll keep pounding that into our heads through the whole church so we get this stuff because you want to be able to defend your face and give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that is within you. But ask them the question. Make them answer it. Why should you answer it? So he asks them the question. He says, uh, I'm gonna, so he says, I'm going to ask you a question. How many know it's dangerous when Jesus asks you a question? <laughs> Verse 25, he says, here's my question. The baptism of John, John the Baptist, was uh, from what source? From heaven or from men? <laughs> it's a loaded question, man. Now watch what they do. Because they're going to tell you why it's a loaded question. And they began to reason among themselves. So they pull away. Because now they're dialoguing, right? Saying, if we say from heaven, then he's going to tell us, then why did you not believe? In other words, if we say that, you know, the, 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 the baptism of John was a heavenly thing, they're gonna, then he's going to tell us, why didn't we believe it? And then they, then they reason again. They say, but if we say from men that it wasn't from heaven, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. Say, well, we can't say from men because then the people will be against us, and oh my gosh. So they're, they're in a quandary, right? They're in a catch-22. We can't go this way, and we can't go that way. And I love the fact that he pins it back on them. Now, so in verse 27, and answering Jesus, they said, they said? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> and so he also said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Pretty simple, huh? Shut them down. Now let me give you an application that I think works in life. That I think is, it, it's a big application, in my opinion. Why does Jesus, when questioned about his authority, why does he take him back to, the, to John the Baptist in the baptism? Let me tell you what I think. Well, yeah, but why does he take him all the way back? But you're right, you're, yeah, you're right, Will, on that. But let me, let me give you a different thought on it, okay? Because if you miss it, if you get it wrong at the beginning, you get everything else wrong. You hear what I just said? If you get the baptism of John right, speaking of those, then you get everything else wrong. If they say it wasn't from heaven, then everything else is wrong. You follow me? This is our dilemma in America right now. It's absolutely our dilemma. Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 11 is the foundation of everything that you and I stand on. It is also the very chapters that are under attack at all times. Are they not? There are not multiple religions in the world. That's a lie. There are two basic religions. And I'll just say Christianity religion, though it's not. It's a relationship. There's God's Christianity and there's man's thinking. That's the two basic things. There's nothing more than that. I can prove it by Genesis chapter 3. The attack on the Word of God. Has God said? He tells Eve... You know, Eve, you, you, know, you could be a god. And she bites, right? And so I could be a god. I could be a shot caller. So he says, the choice was, you can believe what God believes. You can walk in this worldview, scriptures, or you can walk in the worldview of mankind. If you get it wrong in the beginning, everything else is wrong. If the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? Look, we live in a day where it's a, everything's racism, and, you know, same-sex marriage is okay, and LGBTQ 
no offense, X, Y, Z, W, whatever that all stands for. I can decide what I am. I can do all these things. You know, it's, it goes on and on. Those are all symptoms of a problem at the very beginning. The worldview is wrong. Once you reject God, then you take mankind's worldview. Are you following me? And then all the rest of it down the road are symptoms of what went wrong way back here. If you get it wrong in the beginning, you get everything wrong. And that's what we're seeing right now. You know, it's funny to me, it's fascinating, is, you know, they fight, fight, fight. You, if you read different articles these days, you see that one of them is that football coach, separation of church and state. Have you read that article recently of what's going on with that football coach? I'm thinking, but, and, and they so distorted separation of church and state, they think it's like, you got to separate in both. I'm going to get to that in a second. But what the founding fathers meant was that the state, the government, cannot start its own religion and say that's the only one. That's all it means. It doesn't mean you couldn't mix religion in with government. It doesn't mean that at all, but that's what they try to make it believe, make you believe now. But think about this. Atheism, secularism, humanism, which is all contrary to God because it's man's way of thinking. Two religions, God's way or man's way. They say, nope, separate God, take God out of public school system. But you and I still pay taxes, right? Our taxes go to support the schools, but they still have their own religion in schools. Do they not? Secularism, atheism, humanism. They still have their own religion, but they won't call it that. But that's exactly what it is. There's only two ways to look at it. And if you go back to the beginning, you'll see how it all began. If you get it wrong at the beginning, you're going to get it wrong everywhere else. If you get it right at the beginning, you're going to get everything right. And so you always follow what God said in the beginning. Those are your foundational pieces right there. That's why it's under attack constantly. Constantly, those first 11 chapters of Genesis. Now, let's go back to John chapter 5. Did that make sense to anybody on that one right there? Okay, witness number three, and that is signs. Ooh, I gotta move fast. Signs, verse 36. It says, uh, but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which, he, which the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I do testify about me, that the Father has sent me. Now, we see the signs. Jesus does certain works. And we know that the gospel, you see that, I think you have it in small letters there, but John chapter 20, verse 30, 31, in your notes there, should be in there, yeah. But anyway, that's where we said way in the beginning that the gospel of John, why it was written was because to show the seven signs that Jesus did to prove who he was so that people would believe in him. That was the whole reason for the gospel of John. So now one of the witnesses is the signs. Now, <clears throat> going back to this thing about signs, you can, um, what's, what, okay, uh, let me jump ahead for in, one, two, in two weeks. Uh, signs. Do signs always, well, people go, oh, signs, I believe. Uh, sadly, in Jesus' case, you'll find it in John chapter 6, after he multiplies the bread and the crowd, they say, not enough signs. We want you to do more signs. We don't believe that when you, are you kidding me? I've already done enough to prove to you who I am, but they want more signs. Look, there are some people, no matter what evidence you give them, no matter how much you show them, they're still not going to believe. They're just going to debate with you. I'm not telling you not to share with them, but just know they're just not going to do it. There are people like that. And so Jesus ran into the same type of people. Now, witness number four, and that is the scriptures. Witness four is the scriptures. Now look at verse 37, 8, and 9. It says this, And the Father who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. That's kind of a slap in the face. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. Verse 39, 
You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about, about me. Now, before I get into this whole idea of search the scriptures and say, share what I want to say about the witness of the scriptures, I want, you, I want to show you something that's very interesting to me. Look at verse 38. <clears throat> you do not, say not. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not, say not, not believe in him. You don't believe because the word of God is not in you. Now, watch all the nots and OTs after that. We already read one in verse 38. Look at verse 40. The not is in the form of the word unwilling. And you are unwilling, not, to come to me so that you may have life. Look at verse 42. But I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. Verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own, you'll receive him. Look at verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Verse 47, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? It's a lot of knots, huh? What did all those knots begin with? A what? A knot. <laughs> it's not a true question. It began with a knot. Verse 38, you do not have God's word abiding in you. And because you have no place for God's word, therefore, he says it in all those verses, you will not receive, love, seek, or honor God. It all starts with God's word implanted in the heart. But if we reject it, if anyone rejects it, then we will not receive anything else after that about God and of God. Now, look at verse 39. He says, he's telling them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Okay. The word search, interesting word John uses because it can also be translated command or statement. In other words, search it. You're commanded to search it. Seek it out. Be diligent in these things. Study to show that self approved. But then he also says, uh oh, let me say this back up. The word search is the idea, so it can be translated command or statement, but it also, in the idea of it, the idea is the idea of hunting or stalking your game. Like, okay, I, I don't know if you ever, my, my son got me on this show alone. Has anyone, not naked and afraid, not, I don't watch that, okay. Alone. Anybody watch that show? Watch that show? Alone? Yeah. It's, in, it's, I don't know that I could do that. I'm a backpacker. Pardon? No. I'm not crazy. No, 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 no. I don't even like cold weather, okay? That's a problem right there. I like it 95 degrees. Um, I know some of you don't like I like 95. But, um, but on this show... They drop these people off in these isolated areas. And they give them, what, nine things they can take? Is it nine? Ten, Ten things? Ten things, yeah. And that's it. And you got to outlast everybody else to win the half million dollars. And you see no one else. And you're out there. And you got to make it happen. And these people, uh, the latest one, they build these little houses. <laughs> They're incredible. But what they do, too, is they've got to eat. Some of them fish, and some of them track game. They watch the tracks, and they're tracking. I'm thinking, 
You know, Rob, we backpack, and we've run into bears in the middle of the night many a time. I wouldn't be tracking, because <laughs> I know I might run into one of these guys. But they're tracking, and they're, they're, they're watching, the, they're hunting to find that game, to kill that game, and to eat. That's exactly the idea of search of scriptures. Track it. Hunt it. It's commanded to do that. Search it and search it and search it and search it and study it until you find that thing in there when God just explodes it in you. Let me share something on my heart. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm, um, uh, I come out of COVID, not, I had it, but I'm not talking about that. I mean, our church came out of COVID and it made me, you know, you anal I'm an analytical person. I analyze things. I, and I watch, I observe, and I think. And things that happen make me reanalyze and reevaluate. Anybody like that? You're reevaluating all the time. I'm, I'm just like that. You know, because I want things to be better. How can I do things better? How can we do what, maybe now? What does the Holy Spirit want now? And I came out of it, and I realized I'm very confused. And I'm, in my confusion, I'm saddened. And sometimes in my sadness and confusion, I'm really frustrated. And let me tell you why what I've observed. Not you guys, because you're here. I found that I don't think many people, Christians, I don't think they study the scriptures. I just don't think they do. Now, I caught an inkling of that when I was first a Christian. My first couple of years, I would talk to people who were saved a long time, and I would share stuff out of the Bible. I was really excited, and they wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. And I walked away going, how could they not know that? But then as time goes by, you realize that majority of Christians don't bother studying the scriptures. They just don't have this fascination, understanding, desire, wanting, whatever it is. They just don't seem to want it. That confuses me. I don't get that. And, and I'm not saying this because I'm special. It's just, this is me. When I, before I got saved, all I read was a sports page, and that was it. Now I don't even read the sports page. But when I became a Christian, I went from the sports page and I started opening up the scriptures. And it's just alive. And it's like, oh my gosh. This has been here all this time. And I've never pulled my foot off the pedal. For 42 years, I've studied it. And you could ask my wife. She'll be the witness of that one. I just study it and study it. I just, I just can't get enough of this stuff. But so, in my analyzing, in my confusion and sadness, I came to some course corrections for my life within the church, things that I want to play out in my life as I enter into the later parts of ministry for me. Because I feel like there's a strong ignorance, not with you, you guys are growing, you're learning, but in Christian people, that I'm going to shift my Sunday morning style of what I do and how I teach. Because I think there's a big war going on. And we Christians need to know what we believe. We need to be, have a better grasp of what we believe. We better have better foundations of what we believe. And so after this series, there'll be a little three-week series, but after that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, begin to teach Sunday mornings. I'm going to teach books on Sunday mornings, on the Bible. I'm going to go to that. Now, it won't be verse by verse per se like this. It'll be narrative, like take a chapter and the whole narrative of what the thing's about. So I'm going to go through books. That's what I'm going to do because... I just feel like people need that. I, I just, I, I just, it just won't, it won't leave me. It just won't go away. 
But I also have felt strongly for over a year that people not only need that, they need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I just don't see people passionate and, and just on fire. And it's just like, uh, how can this not burn in you, you know? How can, I, I don't understand that. I really don't understand that. But he gave us the baptism of the Spirit. Our, my first book I'm going to start is going to be the book of Acts. It's going to, the series is going to be called, it'll take me a year, guys. So anyway, but each book will take me. It's going to be first century fire for 21st century followers. That's what that title is going to be of that series. But I feel like this is what has to happen. You know, my son Dylan's like, oh, yeah, I'm all in. Because he's a teacher type. So he's, he thinks it's the greatest thing he's ever in his life. And so, but I think, that, but I know that's where I'm going to go to. And that's how we're going to change Sunday mornings up. Because I'm, I want people to know the Bible. I want people to know that Bible. And I want people to walk in the power of the Spirit. That's what I want. And that's what I want to see. Now, we're called to hunt the scriptures. Look back at verse 39. And I got I to gotta tie this up very quick now. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life and these, these testify in me. What, what did he just tell these guys? Listen, listen. What did he just tell these, these religious leaders? He said, you think by reading the scriptures that you have life. He says, no, 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 no. These scriptures that you read, they testify of me. I'm the life giver. Remember that? He's the life giver? He says, you think by reading, by studying, you think you get life out of them. No, 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 no. They testify of me, he says. Now, that's a big statement. Now, let me try to put it this way to you. When I was back, uh, when I was in college, one of the classes was the theology, theology class. And my teacher said this, and I never forgot. I thought, this is so true. I never saw that. And uh, he said, in the Old Testament, they were under the, the law. They were under the creation of God. God created the law, correct? So their relationship was, the creation, was with the creation of God, was with the law. In the New Testament, we are not under the creation of God. We are under and in relationship with the creator of all things. Does that make sense? You see, they had a relationship with the creation of God, the law. They missed it because Jesus was trying to shift them to having a relationship with him, the creator, God in the flesh. Does that make sense? So that's, that was the shift he was pushing right there. They couldn't see it. They didn't understand it, but he's pointing it out to them right there. The last and final witness, number five, is this. It's Moses. It's Moses. <clears throat> now, let me just jump down, because I don't have time to read all those verses, all seven verses, but let me, um, let me go to 45, 45 to 47. <clears throat> Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. Wow. For, the, for he wrote about, wait a minute, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Jesus says, he wrote about me. What? Yeah, he wrote about me. Verse 47, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now, did Moses write about Jesus? <laughs> yeah. The first time he mentions him, he doesn't, doesn't say it's Jesus, but Genesis 3.15. Is your first mention of the Messiah to come. Now, turn to, um, we're going to come back to these verses here one last bit of time, but turn to Luke, really quick, please. Luke 24, to your left. Luke 24. Now watch. This is Jesus after the resurrection, and he's talking to a couple of guys <clears throat> on the road to Emmaus, and they don't know it's him. Remember that story? 
Because if you don't believe Jesus is going to rise from the dead, it'd be hard to believe that that's him walking with you, right? So that's one way to look at that, why they couldn't recognize him. Now, look at, um, look at, let me, I know it says verse 20, back up to 18, because it's funny. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? They go, in other words, they tell Jesus, you don't know what's been going on here? You don't know about this Jesus guy who was crucified? You don't know, and they're telling that to Jesus, right? And watch what Jesus does. And he said to them, what things? Is that the greatest line? He's like Columbo. Uh, what, uh, what things? He's just, he's playing with them. Jesus is comical. And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. In other words, we thought it was him, not him after all. He died. He's standing next to them. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb. We know that's Peter and John. And found it exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, this is now Jesus is going to talk to him. He's going to respond. O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Verse 27 is what I want to point out. Then beginning with Moses, meaning Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And with all the prophets, meaning all the guys of the prophets. He explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. What did Jesus just do? He verified that the Old Testament is completely true, correct? The prophets, the books of the law, parting of the Red Sea, Jonah in the great fish's belly, verifies it all is true, everything. And Jesus says that he was Jesus himself. I'm in all those scriptures. I'm there. He's in the Old Testament concealed. He's in the New Testament revealed, but he's there because he always was. He's the captain of the Lord of hosts when Joshua goes up to the man with the flaming sword. That's Jesus right there. He's there. He's all around the place there. Now, <clears throat> so when Jesus tells them in John 5, they speak of me, he's right, but they don't see it. They don't get it. They speak of him. They read it, they read it, they read it, but they just don't get it. Have you ever run into anybody like that? Have you ever run into a Christian that reads it and reads it and they're just so into reading it they don't even... I mean, do, you're not relating to Jesus here. You ever seen that? Anybody ever seen that before? I've seen a few cases like that. Now, back to John chapter 5. Let me finish it off. So he gives the evidence. Moses backs up his claims. But here's the part that's kind of scary. Verse 45, and I'll finish here because it's 8 o'clock. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, whom you have set your hope. He says, look, guys, the very, he's telling these guys here in John 5, the very scriptures that you use to defend yourself, 
are the very scriptures that will be used to condemn you in eternity. Is that scary? That's scary. That's a scary thing. The very scriptures you use to defend yourself and not believe in Jesus, meaning himself, are the very scriptures that will be used to condemn you. To condemn you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, that Lord Jesus, the way you put it together, your claims and all your witness evidence, God, of who you are, just makes so much sense. And the evidence is there. And we thank you, Lord, um, God, that we could take these things and we can apply it and we can use it to defend our faith and share with others, God, because the scriptures are alive, Lord. They just come alive in the spirit when the person has the spirit of God in them, as we do. Thank you, Lord, for this night. Now, blessings upon everyone. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.